Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode, I talk with Stevie Moss, a dog trainer and behavior consultant from the United Kingdom. Stevie is a mom of two kids under the age of three, so she has a lot to share with us about how to prepare an anxious dog for a new baby and transition that dog into the crazy world of toddlerhood. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Stevie. I'm so excited that you are here to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. Well, you're the perfect guest on so many levels. I mean, number one, you're a mom and you've got two little ones under the age of three. So that's super relevant to our listeners. (laughs) And you're a dog trainer and you've got a dog. So you are living the life that our listeners are living, which is you're a parent with a dog, um, but you have some extra insight that a lot of people may or may not have about how to cope with the daily challenges of living with kids and dogs. So before we get into, you know, how you deal with the day-to-day and if you have any tips and tricks for us, um, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Oh, thank you. Um, So my name's Stevie Moss. Um, I have been a dog trainer for about six years, but uh, crazy dog lady um my whole life um (laughs) so I run a training company called a dog's best friend and we cover all all kinds of dogs um going from sort of puppyhood through to um reactivity rescues um I do as much behavior work as I can Uh, and then as you mentioned I am also a mother of two and um, I have a four-year-old, maybe five-year-old rescue uh, who is a bully crop, to the best of our knowledge, um, who has also taught me a lot and, and helped me see where things can go right and wrong when it comes to introducing children and, and anything, really. She's not, um, not great at change, so everything has to be introduced. Um, in a way that, as you said, it's helpful to have the insight into how to do that. Um, Yeah, for sure. I think that it really does help to have a little bit of understanding of at least maybe dog body language is a good place to start of recognizing how your dog feels and what certain stressors are. So does she, what kind of body language is she really clear about? for you? Like what has helped you the most in terms of her body language to help you, um, help you help her with the transition of adding kids to her family? Um, so I uh, got Floki when I was a couple years into my dog training. I wanted to make sure that I had the right setup to be able to offer a dog the, the house that they deserved and obviously the lifestyle that would accommodate them. She came to us about five months old from uh, a big rescue here in England. And she, she came with a lot of over 
arousal issues being typical of the breed she was very mouthy very quick to become over aroused as I said and teeth first think later and I am a big fan of Tourette uh, Regas and have done a lot of research into sort of calming signals so the minute she came to me I made sure to reinforce anything she was able to tell me in regard to it not being with her teeth basically as a puppy she now I'm very pleased to say over exaggerates a lot of her body language um because I think she's been lucky enough to know that I understand it so one thing that she does a lot of is she'll do a big yawn when she's starting to become a little bit stressed out of the situation um so for example with my toddler if he was to go over and kind of offer her a pat and it's not what she particularly wants at that point and she's feeling like she can't necessarily get away if the head turn which is initially what she'll start with isn't enough she'll she'll do this big exaggerated yawn um which he now knows means give me space she also lifts up a paw as well to kind of say hang on a minute if something's caught her attention um which again i'm trying to get my my two-year-old to, to pay attention to that's more so when we're out on a walk um she uses that and if she ever does get overexcited because of the type of dog she is she, we we do get tail over the top of her back hackles raised and and is pinned up so she becomes very pronounced when something's caught her interest to that extent so yeah she's she's very good at, at getting her point across I'm happy to say and I also love that you mentioned that your son who's just shy of three years old so he's really little that he's learning right and that you're probably acknowledging how your dog is feeling out loud and you're doing this consistently and so your son is learning oh when the dog is yawning, that means X, Y, and Z, and I need to back away and give the dog space. Um, I'm going to link to her book. Um, I think it's called On Calming Signals with Dogs, I'm pretty sure, or something really close to that. Um, I'm going to link to that in the show notes page of our website because I love that book. I have it. I I don't know if it's sitting here above my desk right now. It might be upstairs on my bookshelf, but I love that book. And I found it really kind of revelatory because there's some really subtle things that, that like you mentioned, such as the paw lift, which a lot of people don't even think is communication. They just think it's the dog is pointing at something or I don't know, you know, they're standing there and their foot goes up, but they don't necessarily even realize that that's actually an indication that. Um, the dog is having some pretty significant feelings in that moment. No, one one that I um, found with Flo, which gave me a lot of insight into how valuable paying attention to the body language is, um, she will do a big shake-off. If something kind of piques her interest um, and she's got a bit overexcited, she, she does that huge shake-off, which um, kind of brings her back down. But through that, she somehow managed to pair that behavior with being let outside to go to the toilet so if in the middle of the night which was quite helpful when the babies have been very little for any reason she ever needed to go out or in the day she now does a big shake um because my reaction to that was always to let her go and have some space so um without meaning to it's ended up meaning i need to go outside i need to go to the toilet so big shake off is another good one to 
pay attention to um just to kind of see where they're feeling and and how they're responding to things definitely I like how you paired that actually, that makes so much sense that you let the dog outside to take space. And so the dog made the association that taking space means I might as well go potty while I'm outside. I think yeah. that's really cool. It's a really good example of how dogs repeat what they practice and how they make associations, sometimes ones that we're not anticipating as well. I think that's a really, really good story. Um, so you know, you have this dog that has big feelings, right? You mentioned that when she came home to live with you, she was quick to respond to any sorts of um, emotions that she was having, which is really normal to so many dogs. Were you worried at all about how she would feel about the addition of some little humans to her family? Or did you feel like, see, here's the question, I guess, that you obviously have experience as a dog professional, which gives you maybe more confidence than the average person. But on the other hand, you're still a new mom. You're a mama bear. So instinctively, I'm just wondering if you still had the feelings that, you know, any other parent might have, or if, you know, you felt sort of immune to some of those because you had more insight into dogs. 100% I still had those worries. And, and I think with the profession that we're in what can help you be good at your job is is over planning and sort of foresaw thought into things but obviously with the expect expectation of having a baby it kind of meant that I went into complete panic mode about you know adapting my whole life um as any new parent would to to having to you know learn how to be a mom and then on top of that I had this dog who had been my number one for for two years and my whole and she had been what I'd adapted my life around that was suddenly going to have to learn how to share me and then also learn how to deal with this 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 to begin with noisy smelly loud thing that was going to come into her world and and suddenly change everything so no I was in no way immune to to having those feelings and I think doing what I do meant that I was better prepared in my mind of how I could make those feelings go away but it, it also didn't mean that on the other side of it that there was things that I had anticipate because I hadn't done it before yeah no I had I had all those anxieties and and on side of it it meant that I was better prepared but then on the other side of it I think it meant I also knew too much almost and was worrying too much about it because I could see how many ways it could it could go wrong from her perspective and from mine so yeah I was in no way immune um to having those feelings it's really good that you acknowledge that it could go wrong from her perspective as well as your perspective, because I think that it's so easy for us to focus on our own feelings and not to focus on the fact that the dog has feelings as well. So I like that you said that a lot. What were some of the steps that you did to try to prepare her? Like what, let's pretend somebody is expecting or adopting a baby who's listening to this and is thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to help my dog get ready. 
right? So I have an online class for that, that they could take, but I think there's a lot of other things that people can do without taking a class. So where would you advise someone to start? Um, whether it's with specific training or whether it's just lifestyle management kinds of things. I kind of took my limited knowledge at the time of what a baby was and almost in dog trainer mode try and desensitize her to the things I thought were going to be possible stressors um so as I said earlier they babies make a lot of noise and they're quite odd noises if it's not something that dogs are used to um so I'm not ashamed to say I was that crazy person walking around with a with a pretend with a doll that made baby noises reward my dog and make positive associations to that sound um which you don't need to get a dolly for for anyone that might be thinking it's worth trying you can just play youtube or or have an app um that that you can record or that already offer baby noises so you've obviously got crying but you've also got the cooing and the the gargling and a whole range of sounds that um preparing your dog to kind of have in the background but not be too intense and focused on was something that I I know I did with my with my first child mainly as well because they can be squeaky some dogs find high pitch noises quite exciting and obviously if that's the case you don't want the the dog to make an association with play or go into any kind of predatory mode just based on the fact that this squeaky noise is, is going off. So yeah, I, I did a desensitization to possible noises. Also, the fact that my hands weren't going to be free um, is something that I did a little bit on. But in hindsight, once my son arrived, I wish I'd done a lot more. So with the training I do and with the training most people do inevitably you use your body language just like they do to get your point across and then suddenly you have a baby in your arms you're not able to use your hands to point somewhere or to get them to do a sit as well as using your verbal cues i very much overtrained some things but i I, in hindsight one thing that i wish i'd done a lot more of was, was the concentration on using my voice to initiate behaviors rather than my body language um in preparation for the fact that my hands were going to be free um and well they weren't going to be free that they were going to be full um most of the time my saving grace massively with that was having a very strong target behavior for Flo. so she has a she is spoiled she has a bed in every room of the house um, and being able to send her somewhere when my hands were full or when I needed to, to focus on the baby was, I would say, probably the most helpful thing that I had in place, purely because she'd become very used to following me around as as they do and, and being with me constantly. And then if I sat down, that was time for cuddles. And then suddenly I'm feeding a baby and holding a baby and I can't necessarily have a, a 25 kilo dog on my lap at the same time. So sending her to bed and knowing that she could relax and, and have that space from her was, I would say, one of the best things I did. And I, I highly recommend it for anyone preparing 
um, to bring a baby home. That's such a great safety tip because you, I mean, it would be so easy in your tiredness and like you said, your hands are always full of something that it would be so easy to stumble over a dog or to have the dog, you know, bump into the baby because they're trying to cuddle you and you can say, Hey, you know what? I need a little space. I want you to go lay here instead to give me that space. I think that that's a really wonderful thing. It reminded me though of a common concern that I get from parents all the time, um, including in my free Facebook group, which is called Parenting Kids and Dogs, which is that parents feel very guilty because they, they're they used to snuggling the dog every time they sit down and, and that's an invitation. And like you said, Flo was your number one, your right hand girl, like for years, for two years before your baby was born. And so there's a lot of um, guilt because it's hard to divide your attention and your time. It's not hard to divide your love. You have plenty of that, but there's often these feelings of just inadequacy that like, I'm trying to learn how to parent this baby and my dog is completely neglected. Mm -hmm. Um, As we say, the dog turns into chopped liver. (laughs) It's a weird expression, but in any case, um, my grandmother used to say that, what am I chopped liver? And I'm like, oh gosh, yes, I still love you. But I don't (laughs) want people to feel like they're dismissing their dog. And yet in the reality of coping with this new juggling that you have to do, sometimes something has to give. So how did you cope with some of that um, guilt or, and that's like a two-part question. So the guilt, but also what were some really simple little bonding things that you could do that didn't take too much of your bandwidth so that you could alleviate some of said guilt? Yeah. No, it, it's it's so true. And it's something now I'm going through it second time round. Um, um, anyone that has got more than one child knows that you go through that with with the dog and the toddler once the, the second baby comes around. Um, yeah. So with Flo again, in regards to preparing for that, I knew that she was suddenly not going to be able to have the routine walks um, that I had been able to up until then. On the plus side, late pregnancy kind of helps with that a little bit as much as we were still getting out every day it had gone from being a good sort of hour, hour and a half to just plodding along um, and, and and hoping that you got back to the car in one piece. Um, so she, in some ways, I made sure to kind of get her used to the fact that she wasn't necessarily going to get the, the same exercise regime as before. I am a big fan of enrichment activities and anything that gets the dog using their nose and so through that um and through the fact that I obviously do this for a living Flo has an abundance of toys that she can go and have that calm time with that doesn't necessarily mean that she has to be on top of me um so things like snuffle mats and and treat balls and and obviously chews and and things like that were so helpful at the beginning because it didn't necessarily mean that she wasn't getting my attention but it meant that she could interact with those things on her own have that fulfillment of her mental stimulation um, and it also freed me up at that point to to go and be with the baby or 
it, buy some miracle sit down for five seconds. So enrichment toys, very, very helpful um, and definitely helped alleviate the guilt um, of her not necessarily getting the training and the exercise um, that she was getting prior to baby. And yeah, and, and preparing for a limitation on, on exercise. I, I had a cesarean with both my children. So the healing time, you know, I, I healed very well. I was very lucky, but I couldn't go out and walk the dog next day. And, and I couldn't have her lying on my lap when I got home, as well as having the baby there, you know? So I, I yeah, being able to give her things and kind of replace that. You know, I feel like um, parents who have dogs should add a section to their baby registry of like dog enrichment toys and, <laughs> and like, and like bully sticks and cow's ears and all kinds of things that, that they can chew and do. And, you know, that one of the things that people who come over and want to see the baby that we assign them tasks of stuffing toys that we fill the freezer with because then you can yeah. reach into the freezer and hand your dog something that'll take some time for them to accomplish. I think those things are all really no, definitely. we don't think I it was no and it was I I I did have that on my list. So before you know not knowing obviously when you go in how the birth's gonna go or how how the um healing process will be or how you're gonna feel when you get home. I uh I did over prepare and I did have a stash of, of food in the freezer that we could bung in. And I also had a stash of, of frozen Kongs and hoofs and, and licky mats and things that I knew I could just throw at her um, when she was needing some downtime or, or I needed her to give me a bit of space. So yes, definitely want to add to the to-do list um, if, if possible. I do think that there's a lot that parents naturally do when they are going to bring home a baby that they, you know, they visit the doctor and they take the vitamins and they send out letters to people to say, we're having a baby. But I don't think that a normal step is to get the dog ready, you know, and I'm trying to normalize that, like, like doing all these things to prepare the dog should be just as commonplace as all the other things like preparing the older sibling, you know, or packing the bag or getting a car seat for the car, you know, all of that stuff. I feel like preparing yeah. the dog needs to be just as regular as all of those other things. No, definitely. And then I think I, what I found really interesting and obviously you don't really think of until you get to that stage is, is, the next bit the the, the toddler the, the the suddenly this inactive thing that was in your arms starts moving by itself and I know with her that was almost more of a phase I had to train through because my son was very interested in the dog he was suddenly face height with her for everything kids want to touch everything explore the world with everything and and it's not necessarily something that the dog is happy to have done. So yeah, I, I found that a very interesting phase in our um, adaptation around children um, and dogs. That's a good example of when all that um, body language comes into play because the dogs tend to be so much more uncomfortable mm -hmm. once 
they become unpredictable toddlers. There's so much going on there with the noise and the tantrums and the falling down. And it's just, they're so unpredictable. That's hard for a lot of dogs. Yeah. No, and I think, like I said, my, my son is very high energy and he he was he's has always and was always very quick at everything he did so he there wasn't much of a, a build-up to crawling it was just suddenly he was whizzing around the, the living room floor um and trying to get up the stairs immediately hopefully anyone listening your your child will give you slightly more um of a progressive but um i know with 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 my son um everything was always very fast with the crawling in particular i I prepared her for the fact that her job was to be to to move away rather than it necessarily always being me having to take him away um, by getting on my hands and knees and, and teaching her when I approach you in a crawl, you go to your bed. So again, very dog trainery. And I, I know that's something that um, knowing how to do that is something I could do. but. Um, yeah just having the ability to teach them to disengage I found really really helpful because my son at nine months old wasn't going to be the one that I could teach to, to to leave the dog alone at that point yes I'm prepared to have to go through that all over again with the, when this one starts crawling but yeah it's it's all a learning curve and they're all growing um constantly aren't they and changing and you get your yeah. way of things yeah. being and then suddenly there's exactly. another thing to throw into the mix. That's exactly right. I feel like that was the story of my life as a parent is just when I thought I was getting one stage nailed, some big change would happen and then I would have to start all over again. It's like, oh no, this is so frustrating. Yeah. It's really cool that you acknowledged that in some cases it's just easier to teach the dog that the toddler approaching is the cue to leave because a nine month old is not a little person who is trainable at that stage. And that's not because they're not interested in pleasing you or any of that, just developmentally, they're not capable of processing those levels of information. You know, you could say, oh, we don't touch the hot stove. We don't touch the sharp thing, but that's like a over and over and over and over kind of thing that you have to do and you have to model it and all of these things. In some cases, it's just easier to either prevent the toddler from approaching the dog in the first place with a baby gate or a barrier, or to teach the dog that a baby on the move means go somewhere safe to a safe place that you will always protect the dog, right? Where you will never let the child approach the, the bed or the crate or whatever. Do you have any last minute um, tips on maybe uh, routines that families can consider to make their lives easier moving forward when they have little people and a dog? I know to alleviate some of my guilt, going back to your previous question with Flo, and, and we still very much get this now second time round. Once the baby was in bed, I do then try and make sure that that's the point I give her some, some time and affection so she knows she does get that eventually and she doesn't try and sort of push her way in to get that throughout the day. Um, so we've got to the point now that we're just getting a routine in place with my youngest. Um, so I put the toddler to bed. I finally get the, the 
um, baby to sleep. And that will be my dog's cue to go and find a toy and she'll just keep dropping it on my lap until I eventually um, play with her. And if I can't play with her at that point, that's when I would get out one of my enrichment toys and, and she gets some time and affection there. And the first time round, getting out on a walk with a baby when you're on your own, I have to walk the dog with the children, obviously. I was very keen to baby wear as much as possible and was lucky that both my my children were happy to be in the sling that for me was very helpful and is still helpful now so my routine with the two at the moment I will get everybody ready get everybody dressed inevitably someone will go to the toilet so we'll have to strip them off again and then get them dressed all over again and change nappy um and then I will not get the dog ready until the last moment so she doesn't get frustrated and overexcited about going out the door if it isn't happening immediately. I don't put the lead on until just before we leave because my son will try and hold the lead quite stressful for her if we're all trying to go out the door and you've suddenly got a toddler attached and then baby goes in the sling, lead in one hand, child in the other, we walk to the car, get everybody in the car and then you've got to do it all over the other end as well. So having a bit of forethought about how you're going to get all of that stuff done and not being annoyed if it takes two hours, <laughs> which it, it did the first couple of weeks to get out the door um, is something I think is, is good to prepare for and not, yeah, and to know it gets easier and easier as time progresses and every time you do it. Um, yeah, that, that you, you will be able to um, eventually kind of not have to think much about getting out the front door is I think what I'm trying to get at with this conversation the, the very first few months um it's a lot to deal with I remember I like that you said that because it's easy to think that maybe you're just rubbish at it but in reality everybody is because it's hard to get a toddler out the door for any reason you know and they want to do their <laughs> shoes themselves and they want to put their jacket on themselves and that alone takes 20 minutes just to do one thing and then 20 minutes for the next thing and then they're hungry. <laughs> it's so hard. Everything takes forever with the little kids. Um, but it it is a barrel of laughs though, which is good. And it's really good that you did point out not to get the dog excited about the outing until it was literally time to go through the door because it could take so long to get everybody ready <laughs> just to leave that the poor dog would have their own tantrum yeah, while they no, were definitely. waiting. Yeah, no, definitely. And and as I said, the touching, my son's got to an age, he's asking to hold the lead. And luckily, me, Flo, obviously, through training, walks very nicely. Um, but I'm having to kind of allow him when it's an appropriate time. And once we've discussed everything to a point that I know he's understanding that he can hold the lead, but he it's his job to keep it loose. We don't do any pulling. She walks yeah. beside me and, and, you know, it's wonderful. He wants to interact with her, but trying to make sure that you make it happen in a way that he's safe and she's comfortable is another oh, yeah. juggling act that I'm now having to go through. So and it's um, so easy for a dog to pull a toddler off their feet if they see a squirrel or something else. Um, I'm a big fan of using a second lead that the toddler yeah. holds so that 
you know, if they perhaps swing it around, they're not necessarily pulling on the dog and, um, but they do feel like they're helping. I think that that's really good, but you've got the safety of the, of the real lead in your hand and, and they have like the secondary one that can help a lot with that. All right. Well, I'm going to let you guys get back to your family time and your dinner. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I think this was all such good advice, you know, from a couple of moms to a bunch of other moms. <laughs> I hope, I hope that everybody enjoys this. Um, I will link to some of the resources that we talked about on the show notes page. And why don't you tell people where they can find you? And I'll also link that on our show notes page as well. No, of course. Um, so my website is uh, www.a-dogs-best-friend.com. Um, and you'll find sort of my most up-to-date information um, and what we've been working on uh, on Facebook. Um, so that is um, facebook.com and then forward dash A-D-B-F-27, um, which should take you to my Facebook page. Okay, um, great. Yeah, we're also on, on Instagram as well. It's the same abbreviation as ours. Okay, great. Well, I'll link to all that on the show notes. And people can check you out and ask for further advice if they need it. Um, thank you again, Stevie. I really appreciate your time. No, it's been my absolute pleasure. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on the podcast app of your choice. For ongoing support, get on the wait list for the Pooch Parenting Society, where I share training tips, activities, and coaching so families with dogs can live in harmony. By signing up at safekidsanddogs.com, you'll be the first to know when I open registration again for new members.